This is Twisted Travel and True Crime, and I'm your host, Sandy. Just a quick heads up, right away, that in addition to discussing the brutal murder of a visitor to Puerto Rico, this episode will discuss the murders of children. Skip this one, if that's not something you are willing or able to hear. As I said, we're headed to Puerto Rico today. Puerto Rico means rich port. It's rich in history, culture, and seafaring tales, and it's also gorgeous. Think of what you'd like in a Caribbean tourist destination, and Puerto Rico will have it. But don't forget to try the empanadas while you're there. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know I like creepy tourism. So, of course, I'm going to share some with you. There's an old fort called Castillo San Cristobal, and legend has it that a young woman named Maria Dolores, whose father was the city's executioner, fell in love with a young, wandering thief named Betancourt. Unfortunately for Maria, Betancourt was caught stealing and was executed by Maria's father. Betancourt was left hanging in the gallows where Maria later found him. Devastated by the sight of her one true love, she decided to hang herself next to him. Later that day, Maria's father came to dispose of Betancourt's body and found his beloved daughter with him. It is said that Maria Dolores and Betancourt can be seen from time to time, wandering around the area where they both met their final resting place. If ghosts exist, I certainly hope they get to choose the places they haunt, because I'm confident today's victim certainly wouldn't want to stay in Puerto Rico. Let's dive in. On the morning of February 4, 2009, Sarah Cusack and her fiancé, Captain Cheshire McIntosh, woke up with smiles on their faces. Sarah had just flown in the day before from Savannah, Georgia, where they kept their home. She was excited to be joining her soon-to-be husband on another crewing job. Sarah and Cheshire had met more than five years ago when they were introduced to each other in Fiji. At that time, Sarah was taking a vacation, and Cheshire was working at a sailing regatta. They met, spent a week together, and then never parted ways. When they met, they realized they had a lot in common. They shared a passion for sailing and seeing the world. Their constant contact and interest in each other's company eventually led to Sarah moving to Savannah, Georgia, in order to live with Cheshire. Sarah was a multi-talented go-getter. She gained expertise as a Sioux cook, which let her find work easily as a professional yacht chef. She'd work alongside Cheshire, who would be hired to pilot the boats. Their energetic and positive demeanors, along with their cook and captain experience, made them a valuable asset to many yacht owners or charterers. Their reputations grew, and they spent the last several years of their lives working together on charters and traveling the world. In between chartering gigs, Sarah worked as a part-time realtor and caterer. Both Sarah and Cheshire were well known for providing wonderful services as crew. One of their friends, John Everett, said he got to know them by spending three weeks on a yacht with the young couple and some other friends. He described Cheshire as the more serious of the two, while Sarah was more outgoing. John said that Sarah made sure everyone else was happy. If somebody was by themselves, she made it a point to go and talk to them and make sure they were included in the group. The couple's most recent crewing job took them to Puerto Rico. It was their first time on the island. Cheshire had flown in a few days earlier to meet the owner and prepare the boat. The owner, Peter Dooney, hosted them on his yacht, the Minnow, which was moored at Marina Puerto del Rey in Fajardo. Peter's wife was pregnant and fairly far along. 
The boat owners needed a little extra help, and Cheshire and Sarah were happy to have the work. Puerto del Rey Marina is located on the northeast coast. It's touted as one of the biggest marinas in the Caribbean and can hold over 1,200 boats in and out of the water. The marina area is highly secure with 85 cameras throughout the marina and a rotating security team. The owner's captain and crew felt very safe there. Sarah was particularly happy about this location and about being able to spend time on a boat again, but she was even happier to be able to spend time with her soon-to-be husband. They planned to get married in Tortola, British Virgin Islands, in one month's time. After a long day of travel and a great night's sleep on the yacht, she was feeling energized and excited. She and Cheshire had an exciting afternoon planned. They were going to tour parts of the island, but that would come later in the day. First things first. In the early morning hours, she enjoyed waking up next to her fiancé. They made their plans for the day and likely spoke of Sarah's pregnancy. She was now five months along and just barely beginning to show. Whether she shared her pregnancy with the boat's owner, I don't know. She was barely beginning to show because this was her first pregnancy, but also because she was an avid runner. She ate a quick breakfast, then headed up to the marina office to ask for advice on a safe route to run. The marina staff was extremely helpful and kind. When she was done getting directions, she called Cheshire, telling him how wonderful she thought the staff were and that she'd be back soon. She took off that Wednesday morning for her daily jog. It wasn't her first time running in the Caribbean, but I bet that sun felt good shining down on her shoulders and feeling that ocean breeze blowing across her body as she jogged along. Maybe she was thinking about the exciting plans of the day, or the health of her baby, or her upcoming marriage while she ran. But we will never know, because around 9 a.m., a man named Eliezer Marquez Nevada, 36 years old, grabbed her as she ran by his car and forced her into his trunk. How could she have ever known that there would be a prior rape and murder suspect? and a sexual predator on her path. She had enjoyed many a safe and pleasant run and had always been aware of personal safety after traveling a great deal all over the world, but even her awareness and safety precautions couldn't protect her on that day. Her abductor was large, strong, and only driven by sexual greed. He had seen her jogging and set up an ambush. He went a little further up on the road she jogged along, the roads here were narrow and winding, with steep rises and drops. In other words, he didn't have to drive far before he was out of her sight and was able to surreptitiously pull over to the side of the road. He parked his car along the narrow roadway and opened his trunk. Then he stood there trying to look busy. Maybe he was looking at his phone or pretending to work on something at the side of the road. He waited until she passed by, then grabbed her and threw her into his open trunk. It only took seconds, and unfortunately no one passed by to witness this altercation. She fought as hard as she could to get away from him, but he easily overpowered her. After she had been locked into the trunk, she felt the car take off and took a moment to gather her thoughts. She still had her cell phone on her. She desperately and quickly dialed the marina. She spoke with the receptionist there, frantically telling her that she'd been kidnapped. She described her kidnapper in his car. While trapped in the dark, airless trunk and completely unaware of where her captor was taking her, Sarah used her phone to make what was going to be her last phone call. 
to her fiancé. She told him that she knew she was going to die. She said she knew she didn't have a chance with this man. I can't imagine the agony they were both going through in that moment, both feeling helpless and not knowing if they would ever see each other again. The phone cell signal cut out and the conversation abruptly ended. Cheshire immediately called 911. Later on, Sarah would be criticized for not using Puerto Rico's 911 emergency call system, but Cheshire defended her, saying that if she had tried to call 911, her killer would still be on the street, maybe stalking someone else in their own backyard. Cheshire called 911 that morning after receiving Sarah's desperate call for help. Imagine the shared frustration of the 911 operator and Cheshire. The operator couldn't understand a word that Cheshire said. Cheshire didn't speak Spanish, and the 911 operator couldn't speak English. There were crucial minutes lost that could have made a difference between life and death for Sarah. Only an hour and a half after the 911 call, her body would be found. Sarah's murderer was quick and brutal. Police had Sarah's information about the man. She described him as a tall, dark-skinned Puerto Rican, wearing a jersey shirt, jeans, and driving a black vehicle. While Cheshire dialed the authorities, he fought to be understood, and then he gave them all the vital information. Sarah had been driven onto a small dirt side road, where she was dragged out of the car and into a remote field. It was there that Nevado tied her hands with a rope, raped her and sodomized her before stabbing her upper body repeatedly. Eventually, he covered her body up with a thin sheet of metal. It was only then that he noticed the mobile phone, which he picked up and threw into the trunk along with the bloodied rope. He hopped back into his car and began to drive away from the crime scene, but he had coincidentally pulled out of a hidden lane and ended up directly in front of a police car containing officers responding to both the marina staff's and Cheshire's call. They noticed that his car fit the description given by Cheshire and signaled for Nevado to pull over. They immediately noticed blood on his jeans and shirt. They asked him where it had come from. The killer told them that his brother's horse had been injured and that's how the blood got there. The police then searched his car and discovered the rope and Sarah's mobile phone. When confronted with this evidence, Eliezer Marquez Nevado admitted to killing Sarah. He led police to her body. One officer described what he witnessed as an emotionless killing. He recalled seeing Sarah's face destroyed, eyes missing, the back of her head crushed, and her throat cut. Nevado was immediately arrested for the crime. The police used cell phone tracking to help prove that the phone was in the same location as Nevado. There wouldn't be any question about his guilt. Just two hours after Sarah left for her run, her fiancé would get the call that she was dead, murdered, and that the man who had done it was a suspected sexual predator. Cheshire would be asked to go identify her body the following morning. Sarah's family was notified of her death and were absolutely heartbroken. Her mother spoke of Sarah fondly and said she hadn't seen Sarah since Thanksgiving the previous year. She had been giddy with anticipation of spending time with her when Sarah would give birth to her grandchild. She had planned to spend a month or so with Sarah in Savannah once the baby was born. Back in Puerto Rico, charges were filed against Nevado. 
His neighbors from the La Ceiba residential complex even cried in disbelief over what happened to the person that they described as quiet and helpful. They said Nevado was a son of God. He didn't mess with anyone. On the contrary, he was always at his house, taking care of his girls. One of the neighbors cried, not believing that he could do what he was accused of. The neighborhood's arguments contrasted with the person who hours before had told the authorities that he had horribly murdered a woman he just chose at random in order to satiate his sexual instincts. He confessed to everything. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The crime scene was a bloody mess. Blood covered the brush around the body, and Sarah's body revealed 14 stab wounds, all received around her face and neck. When Nevado told investigators about what happened, he began to sob and shed tears. He verbalized regret, especially because he found out that Sarah had been pregnant. He said he had a daughter himself, and if he had known that she was pregnant, he would never have hurt her. Hand that man a tissue. He has a ton of bullshit on his lips. Nevado actually had seven children, two with the woman he was living with when he murdered Sarah, and five with the woman he was actually married to. I truly hope those children weren't victims of his sadism. Nevado wouldn't answer questions for the press and looked crestfallen when the media descended. He was given a bond of $2.5 million, which he couldn't pay. He later learned that if found guilty, he would face a minimum sentence of 130 years. Nevado would also be investigated for an alleged kidnapping attempt that occurred, get this, only one week earlier. A middle school student from La Ceibo, Nevado's hometown, recognized him when she saw him on television as the man who tried to kidnap her. It was in the same area where Nevado attacked Sarah. Even worse, two women's bodies had been found in recent years. They were killed in a similar way to the way Sarah was killed and their killer hadn't been caught. Captain Cheshire McIntosh had to make a trip to identify Sarah. He made his way to the Institute of Forensic Sciences, accompanied by his boss, Peter Dooney, another captain staying at the marina and a family friend. He positively identified Sarah and walked out, covering his face, without commenting to the press. The press would find out a little bit more about Nevado and his ties to previous murders. This is from the Primera Hora. The article is written in Spanish, and I used Google Translate so that I could read it. But I always feel like I lose a little bit of the story in translation, so bear with me. I'm going to do my best to read it and to summarize it for you. It begins with, This is a horror story from start to finish. Elazar Marquez Nevado's mother, named Inez Nevado, served in prison for the double murder of two toddlers, ages two and three. Inez allegedly cut their throats in revenge against her neighbor because Inez had felt rejected by the neighbor when she learned that Inez had contracted HIV. Although Elazar Marquez Nevada, who was only 16 at the time, was initially listed as a suspect, 
he could not be implicated in the crime because the scientific evidence was not sufficient. Inya's sister, named Carmen Nevado, said in an interview with the Primera Ora that her sister was unjustly convicted. She said Inez had been a victim of violence since she was a child and that she had been raped by their father. Carmen said everything Inez had to live through was not easy. We were abandoned by our mother when we were little, and she was raped by her father. Carmen had been taking care of her sister since the previous Wednesday, when she suffered a nervous breakdown after hearing the news about her son murdering Sarah Cusack. The whole situation caused her to relapse into depression, for which she had to be medicated. Carmen confirmed that Inez had been released from prison just a few weeks ago. It makes one wonder if his mother's release triggered something in Nevado. Former police sergeant Pablo Roman, who was the investigating agent on Inez's case, said that in May 1992, Inez entered the home of her neighbor with a key, and that she was presumably accompanied by her children, which would likely have included her son. Police said Inez killed the children in the bed where they had been sleeping. The girl had been sexually abused and tortured with shallow puncture wounds, and the heinous crime was initially attributed to the children's own mother. The case was later clarified because a witness revealed to police that Inez Nevado had confessed to her about the massacre. But there's another theory that Inez incriminated herself to protect her son and to keep him from going to jail. Eliezer Marquez Nevado was not charged in the murder of the toddlers, despite the recovery of pubic hair that an analysis revealed had characteristics similar to his but the test was not enough to prove that it was his. He could not be definitively linked, and so was ruled out. Inez Nevado's sister, Carmen, doesn't agree with police. She doesn't believe that her sister or nephew committed the crime. She believes that Inez and Eliezer were both falsely accused in that case. Instead, she believes the children's mother killed them. This makes you think. If her own sister, who admitted killing the children, didn't do it, then who is she covering for? Or is Carmen trying to say that Inez falsely confessed because she was so drugged up at the time? I'm not sure what the answer is there. As I said earlier, Inez Nevado served seven years for the murders of these two babies. It seems like she was given a lot of leniency because she had been drunk and on drugs at the time. But seven years for double murder of children, babies really, seems like no time at all. In this case, it appears that the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Cheshire was told by police, within hours of discovering that Sarah and his unborn son were dead, that Nevado was a suspect in previous rapes and murder cases. Of course, this was heartbreaking news for Cheshire. He said, I'm sure it was just as heartbreaking to the families of the other missing girls in Saba and Naguabo, and the families of the two young children that were raped and murdered in the same fashion in 1992. It's clear to see that the Nevado family didn't have an easy life or upbringing, but that doesn't mean that Eliezer had excuses for the choices he had made. He definitely killed Sarah, and possibly more women and children. I researched as hard as I could to find out if the other women's deaths were ever resolved, but I couldn't find anything. This is mainly because they weren't named in the articles I used as research. 
When Nevada went to court, it was pretty much a slam-dunk case. He was very guilty of first-degree murder, and he had admitted to killing Sarah and her unborn baby. He was given 105 years in prison. Sarah's fiancé, Cheshire, was relieved to see swift justice served for this violent killer. He said that nothing will replace the losses that Sarah's family and friends have suffered and the pain they must endure for the rest of their lives. But it's good to see that Nevada will be locked up for a long time. They don't want to see him having any possibility of parole, not for someone who is as cold-blooded as he is. They chose to remember Sarah as a beautiful, young, blonde woman with 35 years of life and experiences. She was blessed to have had more adventure and opportunities than many people do. She was a daughter, fiancé, and mother who had been happily engaged, newly pregnant, and had a zest for life. Her outgoing personality and instant connection to everyone she met made it easy for her to win friends across the country and abroad. Her family believes that there is one less angel on earth and one more in heaven, and I am in agreement. This week's case, as well as last week's, are lesser-known cases, therefore shorter episodes. There isn't much information out there, and I have to dig pretty deeply to find the information that I shared with you. I'm always open to talking to family members and adding to the case, but I don't want to drag up memories that they would rather forget so I do not intend to reach out to victims' families. However, if a family member reaches out because they want to have their case covered, I would gladly do so. That being said, the best way to reach me is by email at twistedtravelandtruecrime, that's all written out, at gmail.com, or through social media on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. There are links to all of those in the show description. That's also where you can find two ways to support the show monetarily, either by Venmo or a monthly subscription. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and give the podcast a good rating and review. If you listen through iTunes or Spotify, you can leave a rating. If you listen elsewhere, you can head to the Twisted Travel and True Crime Facebook page and leave a rating there. I would be ever so grateful. Speaking of grateful, I'd especially like to thank... Gata Blanca Terra, who gave me five stars and said, Consistently good. This podcast deserves the attention of an audience who appreciates independent podcasts. With a soothing voice, Sandy tells us true crime stories we likely will never hear with the mainstream pods. I miss traveling and rely on podcasts to keep me sane anymore. This one ticks all the boxes. It stands up with the best of them. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you. I'm with you there. I miss traveling already, and I've only been home for a little while, so I completely understand that desire for travel and getting out of your own head for a while. A little bit of escapism in a podcast is always nice. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you all so very much. I wish you all fair winds, following seas, and of course, safe travels of all kinds. Take care of yourselves.